0: You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week. We hope it is Final Four weekend. We talked a little bit about the NCAA tournament coming down the pike last week. I think by the time the show posted, you know, some of the things were probably after the fact. But uh, San Diego State, man, that's uh, that team came through for me getting to the Final Four. So that, that was pretty cool. Uh, some other things came out during the course of the week. And, and Alex, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts here. Is at the owners meeting, just as John Harbaugh sitting down with the press, Lamar Jackson fires out a tweet in which he reveals that he had requested a trade on March 2nd and this is the first we're hearing from it and Lamar has continued to tweet throughout this but anyway it it just the timing of it seemed seemed pretty uh calculated and just all of a sudden you're John Harbaugh sitting there and like out of the blue you're getting hit with this but uh what do you make of of this news not being kind of shared before this past monday like 25 days later
1: i'm not surprised cuz i mean the ravens haven't shared much about some of the things that have transpired with Lamar Jackson behind closed doors the only thing that they've let everybody know at least like publicly that they're not trading him that they want to get it done they want to get this contract done I do think that they're frustrated as a franchise because they have a quarterback in place and even if they believe that he still has like another three four good years left because of the type of style of quarterbacking that that he plays but it's still better than like half of the he's still a better quarterback than two-thirds of franchises out there in the NFL so there's no way that they're gonna let him go in that regard but I do think that Lamar is is pulling a little bit of a power trip here he's letting it know that hey I'm not able to get this done even though I'm negotiating it by myself but Hey, I'm sick and tired of this. That's it. Why don't I have a contract? Everybody's getting a new contract. Every quarterback is getting a new contract except for Lamar Jackson. Maybe he should just hire an agent and it can get done within like a week. Why doesn't he want to do that? I mean, share I don't a little know bit if, of the I, profit.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it does really, even if he has. Now, I no doubt an agent would certainly help him in this case. But I just don't know that he's going to have his agent, you know, ask for anything less than what he thinks he deserves. So I think that might be the idea that he, he in his mind, that he doesn't need an agent, that he's got kind of, he's kind of dug in. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm worth. On the other hand, it seems like the market is telling him otherwise, because it's just incredible that it doesn't seem like there's much interest in him, or at least teams aren't putting pen to paper and saying, okay, here's an offer sheet. The draft is coming up in a few weeks. Do you think maybe teams are waiting till after the draft so they can push the draft compensation to next week? I mean, that certainly is plausible, but it just seems weird that here you've got, you know, got to be one of the top seven quarterbacks in the league, and he's sort of available And all these teams that are starving for a quarterback aren't really, you know, stepping up to the plate. Um, Yeah, we've talked about this before. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons that teams are, you know, seem to be shying away or you can kind of make the case. But at the end of the day, uh, there's at least, I don't know, 25 teams out there that don't have, uh, you know, an answer at quarterback. I think, you know, teams like the Falcons.
1: I think teams, um, I I think a team like the Falcons, I think a team like the Titans, they should be in this. I mean, those are the teams that I think are outside of the possibility of grabbing these quarterbacks in the draft. So why not get a proven one? And I mean, you and I have talked about this. We've beaten this to death, but I do think teams are waiting, Lou. I do think yeah. they're trying to come up with the package, and I do think that there might be some negotiating, some requests going on behind closed doors. Again, the Ravens are playing at Coy. They didn't mention this trade, so that means they are not going to discuss teams that are maybe calling them on the phone to you know, acquire Lamar Jackson. They're not going to do that. And I don't think teams that are willing to make this trade are also going to make it I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. But I do think that there should be some teams interested. And they can get the cap situation you know, straightened out. And they can get this contract with him worked out before that trade. And a lot of teams have the compensation to do this. So I'm waiting. I honestly believe that Lamar gets traded during the draft. During That's, the draft? I do. I do. I, I think somebody is going to come up with the package that I think the Ravens won't be able to refuse. I don't think they're going to be able to, you know, turn it down. And I, I think it might well, be well the con-
0: Well, the con in that case, in the case of a trade, they would have to actually sign him to a deal first, and then trade him because right now he doesn't necessarily have a contract. Right? I mean, there's a there's an offer on the table for him to play one year, you know, at thirty two million or whatever, guaranteed. But you know, if another team say comes up with a package, or they don't necessarily just want to, the Ravens in this case say, okay, we'll just take the two number ones that go along with your offer sheet. They'll say, okay, maybe they work out some other package. But I guess first things first, the Ravens would have to sign him. To this massive deal, and then feel the other team would have to say, "Okay, now we can make this deal." So that a lot of I mean, a lot of moving parts here, and it, it just to me the overarching thing is just that it's just so strange that teams. You know came out so quickly to say that they were out you know, not necessarily teams announcing that they were in I could see that playing your cards close to the vest you don't want to let your quarterback know that you're making a play for somebody else and God forbid you don't get them now you got to go back to this guy and say well yeah, we you're our guy really truly uh, so but te- for teams to just go out of their way to say we're out that just seems strange and uh, you know maybe there's some games being played by these teams to make it look like they're not really interested to tamp down the market per se so the 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 trade compensation could be maybe not quite what a former mvp at 26 years old would normally get uh but yeah, it's just this whole thing is just fascinating to me. The fact that he doesn't have an agent makes it even more interesting because it's like, what do we do? He's like and he's just been firing these tweets. It's 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 theater. It's, it's great. It's, it gives us something to talk about. That's for sure. Uh, Other thing that came out of the league meetings, not much. I mean, there wasn't much in, in terms of rule changes. Uh, they've tabled some things, but a big story here. The number zero is going to be allowed to be worn in the NFL. Not for an O-lineman, not for a D-lineman, but just about anybody else can now wear the number zero. And Calvin Ridley, out of the blue, you know, just you know, he's reinstated. Jacksonville comes out, hey, I'm wearing zero. He was the first one to declare. Uh, Micah Parsons is, is uh, saying, you know, sign me up for it. The thing with Micah, though, this is I guess I wanted to get your feedback here, Alex, is now here's the thing. You can't be a defensive lineman, defensive end and wear number zero. Now, if he kind of said, "Okay, I'm a linebacker, I can wear zero when it comes down to negotiate his next deal. Does he want to negotiate as a linebacker or does he want to negotiate as a defensive end and get a hell of a lot more money? So that that, that just seemed kind of – that's where where I went went as soon as Micah came out with that.
1: I want to be a defensive specialist. I don't want to negotiate as a (laughs) linebacker or as a defensive lineman. I want to say, like, I'm a star. I'm a defensive playmaker. He's gonna playmaker. reset the
0: market. He's gonna pull a Lamar and just yeah. That this is this is getting good. Go ahead. He's
1: gonna say I'm a
0: defensive playmaker. That's it.
1: Line me up anywhere. I can play safety. I can play corner. I can play quarterback if you need me to. I'm athletic enough. You know, I I can take the place of Lamar Jackson. But I just think that in in that regard, I mean, it remains to be seen. He's just a special player, and I know the Cowboys are going to pay him. I know Jerry Jones is going to pay him, okay? Jerry pays everyone, especially his star players. He's always done that with the triplets. He's done it with Dak. You know, he's done it with Zeke. I mean, he's just— Seems like their
0: offense, mostly on the offense, though, right?
1: Yeah, but he's going to have to play, though. He's going to have to pay those defensive stars. I mean, it's going to come up. I mean, Micah Parsons, Trayvon Diggs— He's going to have to like fork out some of that cash because, I mean, the defense has... You can make a case that the defense has been carrying the Cowboys the last couple of years, and it's true. With Dan Quinn taking over, he's put these players in position to make plays. And, I mean, Trayvon Diggs and Michael Parsons have made themselves a lot of money. So the Cowboys are going to have to fork out all the cash on the defensive side of the ball.
0: All right, so, we. I mean, going back to the zero thing... Obviously, agent zero, Gilbert Arenas, you know, in the NBA. A lot of NBA players have worn zero, double zero. There's many of them right now. Dame Lillard, obviously, would probably the, the best one. But um yeah, you're looking at football. And I I remember now they kind of outlawed it at a certain point, or I can't remember like in the 70s or something, they kind of lined up. Okay, each position had this range of numbers that you could wear. But, uh, again, when I was a kid, there was a couple of double O's. Jim Otto, the center for the, the Raiders, which is perfect. His name was O-T-T-O, and he wore two O's as a number. And then wide receiver for uh, the Houston Oilers, Ken Burroughs, great player, double zero. And that's, you know, and that, those were kind of the last guys. But, uh, yeah, it just seems a little strange. I mean, you really go in the way back machine. Now, for those kids listening to this and kids would be anybody like under 50, probably or 40 uh, back in the 60s. And this was a really interesting thing is I remember actually seeing they made this into a film for TV. There was a book uh, called Paper Lion, and it was written by George Plimpton. And Paper Lion, Confessions of a Last String Quarterback. And again, it was a made-for-TV movie. I think Alan Alda played George Plimpton, where he famously, somehow, the Lions uh, allowed him to come into training camp and actually get some snaps because he was writing this book. And, and you know, in the movie, of course, they sensationalize it. He's getting crushed by these defensive linemen, Alex Karras and some other guys. Uh, but it was just, it, again, you know, for something that you would probably never, ever see again. But, of course, it was the 60s. So this was something. But, hey, you know, hey, if anybody's really interested in these types of stories, Paper Lion was the name of the book. And it was written by George Plimpton. Uh, I'm guessing, Alex, this is news to you. Absolutely, just
1: like it's news to a lot of other folks that are listening to this podcast. I think just
0: about everybody listening, it's it's news to them, or just kind of like, ah, eh, whatever, dude. Come on, uh, we know you're old. Okay, so that's uh, zero. We'll see. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of players out there, defensive backs, uh, you know, and the guys that maybe wore it in college. I know Jalen Watson for the Chiefs. He wore zero at Washington state. And there's, there's many others, some guys coming out in the draft now. So I thought that was just kind of a, again, just to kind of make fun of the league, the league kind of looking at all these, all these rule proposals and the one that gets done is of course the number zero. So um, what's our big topic today is offensive weapons. What'd you have in mind?
1: Yeah. I just felt like, you know, you and I, know that quarterbacks are going to go high, that there might be, you know, top... The top four quarterbacks might all be drafted in the top 10. I know that no offensive weapon, and by that I mean wide receivers, running backs, tight ends, those guys are not going to be drafted in the top 10. Maybe not even the top 15. So I wanted to bring up a topic where, like, which guy... In this draft, in the 2023 NFL draft, is going to be the highest offensive player pick. Um, and we're going to exclude the offensive linemen because there are a lot of good offensive tackles that are going to go high. The kid from Northwestern, the guy from Ohio State. So that's, I, I thought it was an interesting topic to kick around.
0: Well, it is because, again, then it also kind of gives you a snapshot of just kind of the way the league is moving uh, with certain things, you know, regarding running backs. Because, you know, I'm looking at it and the player is available, and you got to believe Bijan Robinson, if you lump running back, wide receiver, tight end, is going to be at the top of any list. But which team is willing to really invest? that kind of capital, a high first round pick in a running back, in a position that is looked at, you're going to get in, in the first round, basically four years out of the guy. And then it's going to be like, geez, you know, do we pay him franchise that? And it just almost becomes a headache and you'd rather go into like second, third, fourth, fifth, and some teams even into the seventh round to get your starting running back. So, you know, I'm looking at it, and, yeah, I don't see anybody in the top nine going with any of these guys. Now, receiver may even go ahead of them, but this year, I don't know that there's really a, a standout. I got to believe, in my mind, you got Quentin Johnston, Smith and Jigba, Addison, Flowers, Jalen Hyatt. You know, what flavor do you want? You know, Quentin Johnson is, I guess, the the prototypical uh, X type receiver big dude can go down the field showed some speed at his pro day in the four four high four fours low four fives so he kind of you know checked that box so but is he Jamar Chase is he like one of these guys that, that has gone in the top ten before I don't know I don't think so so this is this is going to be an interesting one I think that really the first spot that you might consider it But it's the Eagles is at 10. And maybe this is a spot for Bijan Robinson, but I just the way they've kind of do their running back by committee. They've brought guys in, free agents. They let Miles Sanders go. They bring in Rashad Penny. But again, he hasn't been that healthy. They've got Gainwell sitting there. Maybe they would be the team. Does Tennessee? B. John Robinson, you know, kind of step in for for Derrick Henry, you know, whispers that maybe they were looking to move off him because, you know, age, wear and tear, the whole thing. So that's where I'm looking at at a potential point. But again, I think the chances are very small that Howie Roseman goes for a running back, even though this is kind of a luxury pick. They don't expect to be a 10 anytime soon.
1: I agree with you. I think a running back like B. John Robinson is going to be drafted a lot lower than a couple of these wide receivers because just history tells us that teams are not valuing running backs anymore, and it has to be a team with, like, Super Bowl aspirations, like Super Bowl flavor. And, I mean, obviously you mentioned the Eagles, and, uh, you know, we all know that they went to the Super Bowl this year, but I think it's going to be a lot lower than that. I just look at the teams that can realistically that realistically need a running back, an excellent running back, like this, you know, Longhorn um, guy, like Sean Robinson. I'm looking at Tampa at 19, and I'm looking at the Chargers at 21. I think those are the two teams that I think are, mm, I mean, Tampa just got rid of Leonard Fournette. I don't think they have like a, you know, a a running back out there besides Rashad White, but I think it would be a great compliment, them. It's like a one-two punch. And the, the Chargers, they've basically made it known that we're giving Austin Eckler the chance to you know, look for a trade. But we're not going to sign him to a long-term deal. So that means if they get somebody like Robinson at 21, they'll ship Eckler as quickly as possible. I'm looking at the Chargers just because they have those Super Bowl aspirations. They've got the quarterback. They've got the offensive line. They have weapons of wide receiver. I think their defense is going to be better this year. So uh, I'm looking at the Chargers as the perfect spot. I don't see Robinson going any sooner than that. Maybe the Washington Commanders, but I just think that they have a lot of holes to fill uh, for their team just in general. Uh, they, They can go in a number of different directions, but I think running back is a position that they can find later on in the draft. So... That's why I'm thinking that 19 Tampa, 21 for the Chargers, and I think a couple of wide receivers will be taken before that. And receivers are always a surprise, Lou. We know this. I mean, who thought that Henry Ruggs was going to be drafted before you know C.D. Lamb and and Justin Jefferson and Jerry Judy? So there might be a surprise here, uh, as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah, and, and and again, you feel bad for these running backs that are. I mean, and again, I think. Robinson as a prospect, I think I would put him up there, you know, with Saquon Barkley, you know, as far as what what kind of skills, what kind of physical stature they had coming coming into the draft. Now the Giants, uh, again, you know, pulled the trigger at three. Uh, I just at don't two, see. Lou. At was two. it two? Okay. Well, it was in the top five, top two. Okay, so that was even that was even higher. So and it, typically those are reserved for the quarterback. Or a edge rusher or you know or an offensive, you know, an offensive tackle. So yeah, that, that's that is a tough deal because any one of those teams, you say, well, they need a running back, but the other point you make is yeah, they have to be like kind of, I guess that running back away from feeling that that's kind of the icing on the cake. And we don't really, you know, have needs at the other key positions. That's just and he's just too good of a value to pass up um, the Chargers, That's going to be an interesting one with Eckler, because, who, you know, first off, somebody's going to have to trade. Great. The player is great. But again, the contract, you're probably only going to have him for a year unless you're willing to extend them at probably a higher number They I mean, he signed a very team friendly deal when he signed it. I think it was what, four years, 24 million. And the chargers have gotten every ounce of that. And they, yeah, he, he's outplayed that. Right. But what team now is willing to give him an extension or trade a premium pick you know, I don't know what they would get out of that. It would, they would almost have to like give them away because they just don't want to pay them. So that's going to be interesting one. But I, but I, I'm with you there. I mean, again, Philadelphia only because they're in that position of luxury here. But I don't think they're going to do it. And Tennessee, I don't. Again, they're just they've got way too many holes. Again. Luxury pick isn't what they're looking at. Houston, they just drafted Damian Pierce. No way. Uh, the Jets at 13, no. Uh, New England, they always trot out like four or five running backs. They're not going to have a key back. And, and So so I think you're right. It's going to go beyond those teams. Washington at 16. The Steelers, obviously not. at 17. Uh, 18, the Lions pick again. And... They just let Jamal Williams go. They signed Montgomery. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm guessing yeah, Those are going to be for as far as he goes. Now these other teams certainly you could see them grab a Jordan Addison or a Quentin Johnston or Zay Flowers or Smith and Jigba. I don't think you see a tight end in the top 14 at least. But the, New England loves their tight ends, but they typically not in the first round. Uh, Green Bay, this could be kind of a kind of a different year you got Jordan love now it's not you know Aaron Rodgers, so he's gonna need some safety blankets you know may so maybe you see a Kincaid or a mayor at this point but again that might be a little bit of a little bit of a reach um so yeah I mean I miss, you know, part, I, yeah I, would I go don't... with the I would go with the receiver. And I could see certainly Tennessee pulling the trigger on a bigger dude, Quentin Johnston, and then they can trot out, uh, you know, again, some two really big receivers uh, um, and, you know, start to kind of rebuild from there. But they've got so many different holes. I I don't know if that's really the best for them either, but I would think it would certainly be a consideration at eleven.
1: Well, I mean, I I agree with you. I think that's the first team that might look for it. But I think if the Houston Texans, and they will draft a quarterback at number two, whether it's Stroud or Bryce Young, they need to pair their young quarterback with a wide receiver. So 12 for Quentin Johnston as well, I believe. And then... The Patriots, you never know. I mean, the Patriots are kind of a wild card out there. They're still looking for wide they've receivers. They've done
0: such a bad job. I mean, you talk about a blind spot. I mean, as, as great as an organization as they've been, as dominant as they've been, that's just a blind spot for them. I mean, they kind of lucked into Edelman. But, you know, other than that, who have they drafted that has come, become even a marginal player? Everybody has been brought in, you know, trade, free agent, you know, whatever it happens to be. But uh, and even then they, they've kind of missed on some that they've traded for. So uh, I think they'd be like almost gun shy to do it.
1: I mean, Belichick would be willing to do it for the right player. I just think, like, a wide receiver will be drafted. One of them will be drafted before those first 14 games. In the top 15. Yeah, it it has to be. It has to be. There has to be a wide receiver that goes in the top 15. And I think Quentin Johnston is going to be that dude just because he's got the size, he's got the speed, he's a great athlete, and he did have a very good year for TCU this year. So, kind of was his coming out party. It's not the pick I would make, but I do think that he fits that outside mold of a wide receiver. Because GSN, like I'm calling Smith and Jigba, um, he is more of a slot receiver. That's what he is. I'm not saying he can't line up on the outside, but that's where he's going to be the money player for you. He's almost like a Keenan Allen type of guy. And I just think that you know, the Patriots are looking for somebody that's more of an outside receiver. That's just, that's the uh, he's feeling a little that bit
0: I'm... of a He's a little bit of a wild card because if you go back to, the, you know, again, I mean, everybody will go back to the Rose Bowl because it was just a ridiculous performance when, uh, you know, Wilson and Olave sat out because, you know, obviously they were getting ready for the draft. They didn't want to get hurt, whatever. And he just put on a performance. And I think they, they were lining him up in dip, all different positions. Um, so I think he might have the ability to do that. He's just not as big, obviously, as Johnston. Johnston is just what he's like six, six, four, well over 200 pounds. And again, he runs a four or five, just I think just the, your consummate ex receiver. And hopefully, you know, again, with a lot of these offenses and the I guess the more high powered offenses, the receivers really need to be able to play at any one of those positions really to take advantage of matchups and that's what you what most of those coaches like to see is the ability to play more than one position so um that's the tough one because he really didn't play this year. he was injured he tried and then it didn't work out and he just kept sitting out sitting out just wasn't ready and it, it's hard for when you haven't seen you know that last season but if you go back to the previous year my god the dude was just amazing um and then you, know, you got Zay Flowers, you know, Jalen Hyatt, maybe a little bit further down the list, but uh, what a, a guy that names have been coming up, and I, I don't know, I'm just not feeling it. Is Josh Downs. What do you, do you have any thoughts on him or where he fits into the grand scheme of things as far as these receiver this receiver group goes?
1: Well, he's not a first round pick, he's more of a day two guy. You think I think yeah, he's more of a day two guy. He's put up some good numbers out there at UNC. UNC had a, a really good quarterback this year that's gonna be a should be a high pick next year. I, I think that's where he's gonna go. I just there's one thing about Downs. I studied him a bit. He to me, he had a little bit of a he had like bad body language. You know, I, I felt like at times when he wasn't getting the ball, he was just really pissed off and letting his quarterback know about it, letting the coaches know about it. And I just felt like you know, that, that would turn me off a little bit. But, you know, we've seen plenty of guys with bad body language go on day two and, and turn on, you know, very successful, great careers. So uh, I think Downs is an interesting prospect out there. Flowers is, he can fly. He's explosive. Hyatt is one of the best vertical threats in this draft, just in general. The fact that he can go and get it. He's got a good catching radius, and he's just a big-time vertical threat. And I think a lot of teams are looking for that. And maybe he won't be a number one, but he's going to be a really legitimate number two target. So I think there's a lot of interesting prospects here. And again, those wide receivers that get drafted on day two, time and time again outplay those first-round counterparts.
0: Now he kind of went off this year uh, when Tillman was hit. but coming into the season, I think Cedric Tillman—he was kind of the talk of the Tennessee program in terms of the wide receiver position. I don't—I haven't heard his name once. You know, and I, I—I don't watch everything, I don't read everything, but it just doesn't—I don't really hear much about him. Uh, now it looks like he's—you know—definitely day two, maybe even a day three pick. But is the injury really put him back that far? Or is it just the fact that just out of sight, out of mind?
1: I think it's it's a little bit of both, to be honest with you. I, I just think the injury played a part in it. And also I think, you know, just Hyatt kind of letting every letting the world know that he is the guy this year. He kind of stepped up. And Cedric Tillman might be one of those forgotten guys that, that gets drafted a lot lower. Kind of like... Amon Ross St. Brown or something like that. In that deep draft of receivers, St. Brown was a fourth-round pick for the Lions, and we know the type of player that he has developed into. So Tillman could could be that hidden gem in the fourth round, and I think most teams wouldn't mind getting their hands on him.
0: All right, two other receivers I wanted to bring up because their names have been coming up lately is Rice from SMU and A.T. Perry from Wake Forest. Um I probably did see some of—I mean, some SMU games—and you know, I, I, he looked to me the part. I mean, he can definitely play. Now, as far as At Perry's concerned. I don't know if I saw a snap of Wake Forest this year, so I'm not going to like start touting him. But I'm just is, – is one name that you know some of these guys, whether it, it be an at, at NFL network or ESPN, the name has come up several times. And I just, I guess, wanted to get your insight or feedback as to where, where you think they might land.
1: Well, Rice is a playmaker. I mean, he certainly – he played at the Senior Bowl – not many people know him just because he doesn't play a, at a you know power five conference but he's explosive he's a good receiver. I always have problems with guys that are that aren't able to secure the ball they have a bigger drop rate than you would want and he he's been one of those players in the past I want him I want him to catch the ball a lot more consistently I mean he's capable of that but he has shown drops in the past and that worries me a great deal just in that regard. AT Perry, I mean, he can make contested catches out there. I'm I just I'm not sure he can separate. You know, I always look like for wide receivers that have a bigger cu- cushion, you know, Lou. And I just I didn't see that with AT Perry in the ECC and I question whether he can separate, you know, at the next level. And that's it's a big thing for me. Just if you don't, if you're making contested catches in college, on on a regular basis, you're not going to make those catches in the NFL.
0: All right, uh, some other names at running back, and you, these are just—I mean, the one that really stands out to me, and I that every time I watched him play, I said, "This is this is the guy that I, I would love to see in a, in a Chiefs uniform," and that's Jameer Gibbs of Alabama. Just seems like explosive. Can catch the ball. I think they could pretty much line him up anywhere behind the line of scrimmage, on the line, off the line. You know, playing playing slot, uh, putting him in a, in a two back set, whatever. He's going to do something that's going to just make take your breath away. Cause it just seems like at any point he can just take it the distance. So I, I really like him. H Shane from, from A because their team was just so up and down and they're almost like an, this overrated team. You kind of forget, they've got a lot of really good players. That kid's got speed to burn. So I think, I think he might have a nice NFL career. Charbonnet from UCLA is one that you know he transferred from Michigan in just the last couple of years in that, uh, Chip Kelly offense has just been amazing. And then the kid from Tulane, who's really, who really came on, he's everybody finally, I think kind of noticed him in that, uh, the bowl game against, against USC. Then also in the, in the all-star games, Tajay Spears. Um, what do you think of him? Cause it's, he doesn't, he's not very heralded, I guess you don't hear a lot about him because he played at Tulane, but NFL prospects, do you see him as somebody that could, uh, make a team and actually be a huge contributor.
1: Yeah, he's an underrated running back. I mean, that you look for, like possibly he's going to go on day three, but he catches the ball out of the backfield really well. And you want those versatile guys, guys that can do multiple things. I mean, you already mentioned, you know, the guy from Alabama, the guy from Texas A&M, same thing here with Sharp. I mean, you just want a versatile back that can do a number of things for your team. So you can never have... Too many of these guys, you know, since we've mentioned running backs and wide receivers and we went in depth about it, you know, the tight ends. I think two tight ends are going to go in the first round. I think Mayer and, and Dalton Kincaid are going to go at the end. I'm looking for a tight end to go to the Dallas Cowboys at 26. They did just lose Dalton Schultz. And I think tight end is going to be a need for them. There are other positions that they're looking at, but they could have, you know, one for the choosing, whether it's Dalton Kincaid out of Utah or Michael Mayer out of Notre Dame. I
0: think that's the team I'm looking at. The biggest number zero, I think, in the world, Darnell Washington from Georgia. That, that's an intriguing prospect. Maybe not first round, but that's a monster.
1: But I don't think he's a first-round guy. I think Kincaid and Mayer definitely are. And I think the Bengals are 28. They like to to draft playmakers. And why not get another weapon for Joe Burrow or the Saints? You know, Derek Carr likes to throw to tight ends. He's arriving with the Saints out there. I mean, he would love to get his hands on on one of these tight ends. So it's going to be interesting. I think, again, a lot of quarterbacks are going to go in the first round. Most likely four. And then we're going to see a run on offensive linemen, offensive tackles. I think they're going to be a premium out there. And then we'll, you know, cornerbacks, cornerbacks. I mean, we'll talk about it for another show. I think they're going to be a very sought after position in the first round. And then you sprinkle in, you know, a couple of wide receivers, a couple of tight ends, one running back. I mean, those those are going to be the positions of of need out there. But I think. I expect the quarterbacks, offensive tackles, and cornerbacks, uh, quarterbacks, corners, and offensive tackles to dominate the first round.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll continue to see that. That drum will continue to beat, and we'll talk more about those in the next few weeks as we get uh, closer and closer to the draft. Uh, I mentioned at the top the, the final four, and I don't, I mean, to me, it just seems like the two best teams have gotten there. Uh, and that's San Diego State and UConn, they're just, uh, you know, Hurley's got them playing just lights out. I mean, they're just doing everything the right way, and it's just watching them play. There's, like, very few mistakes, and just the way they're playing. I mean, they I don't know that they've had a close game now. They do play Miami now. Miami, which has been playing great. Laranega, I mean, just this is kind of like his time of year. He did it with George Mason. Now he's back with the University of Miami. They got to the Elite Eight last year, and it was kind of a chip on their shoulder. They wanted to get back, and they were kind of underrated, and here they are. A uh, great team, a lot of speed. Uh, that is going to be a great, great game. Um, seems almost like a final, but San Diego state, that defense, it travels and that coach Dutcher, he's been around for a long time. That was uh, Steve Fisher's right-hand man at Michigan, followed him to San Diego state, waited his turn. And here he is, um, so this is a that's a very good team. I don't know if Florida Atlantic. This might be where the music stops for them. Uh, so I'm gonna I guess I'm gonna go with the chalk. San Diego State, UConn in the final, and then UConn winning it all. Uh, didn't really look at the point spreads, but as far as just I think those are the two best teams playing right now, and UConn just a, a hair better. San Diego State can have those lulls. We're such a great defensive team, but offensively they might be a little bit challenged. So uh, that's where I'm going with that. And well, then
1: you you, you sang you sang the praises for San Diego State last week I mean right. that was your team yep. you talked about their physical style you talked about their defense, defense and how they get amazing. after it yep and then you know San Diego State is a school that my younger brother went to actually, okay
0: and nice. he graduated
1: from there so I appreciate you know the the feedback here from you and you know a shout out to him I mean he he did go there graduated. And, you know, San Diego State wasn't that great when he went to school there, okay, as far as a, as a basketball powerhouse. But now it seems like they, they got this run together. And then so, you know, we got San Diego State versus Florida Atlantic, UConn, Miami. You think Miami has got a shot? Everybody seems to have UConn as the favorite, Lou.
0: Because I mean, they pl- seem because, to be clear cut. Because they have played almost flawlessly throughout the tournament. And if you watching it, they just kind of dominate teams. They're very, they're just all so well-connected, uh, no real superstars, but obviously a lot of talent on the floor. Um, they, I, they're just, they're, they're very well coached and they, they play to their coaching and I just, it's hard. I didn't see this coming into the tournament, but just in watching their games, it just seems like, wow. I mean, they, they they were in a little bit of a roller coaster because at the beginning of the year it looked like they were going to be this team, then they kind of weren't that team and then they kind of got it back going into the tournament. So I didn't know Hear me they, out. they were going to carry it this far. Hear me out.
1: I want a team in the final 4 that has had some tough games or at least one tough game. Yeah. Where they've yeah, been through the grind. This team hasn't. And the fact is, if you're looking at Miami, Miami beat number 1 Houston and then they came back against Texas, number two Texas. So they've had some tough games out there. Laranega has been here before in the Final Four. I just think this is one of those. This is one of those upsets. Hello, I yeah. don't know. I mean, it's just it's everybody's gonna
0: like it's not going to be. It's not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination. Miami's going to. They're going to fight tooth and nail. It's just it, It's just hard to. Again, UConn's. They would really have to slip in the way that they've been playing to lose this game, I think. Now, I, just, I don't I think it, I don't worry. think they blow them out, but I think it's, they just, I don't know, just the eye test, I, I, watching both teams, it just seem, seems like it's a UConn. But again, as soon as you start to say that and everybody's going that way, it'll be the other team that bites you in the butt.
1: I always worry when a team is like a heavy favorite and they're supposed to win. Everybody expects them to win because they're looking at the other teams that are there, and they're like, "Oh, UConn has been great through the first four games. They're going to take care of business." I always, always worry about it to be honest with you. So
0: we'll see. And it's amazing. Uh, it's going to be me. a lot. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Saturday will just you know, it's one of you know one of the best days in the sports calendar, the Final Four. So that'll that'll be fun uh, evening, and then Monday night. We'll see. I'm still surprised that we don't have
1: any number one seeds or number two seeds in the fourth Or three seeds. So, yeah,
0: I mean, it was, again, it just, it, going into the tournament, not that you, I think, I don't know, in, I don't know whose pool it was, one of the larger ones out there, I think there was only six that had this final four out of, like, the millions that were submitted. I don't know if it was ESPN or Yahoo or one of the bigger ones, that only six had this final four, which... Wow, if you had this, God bless you. I think you should get the money any either way. Those those six people should just split it. Uh, but let's go ahead and tie this whole basketball and football thing together. Uh, for those of you that have been listening uh, last year, this year, last year leading up to the draft, we uh, interviewed Alec Pierce, the wide receiver, of the cincinnati bearcats who subsequently became a second round pick of the indianapolis colts and during the interview we were talking about what an athletic uh family he came from i believe all his siblings his parents both all division one athletes and at the time i think we mentioned that his youngest brother had uh, secured a scholarship to princeton well if you watched Princeton play throughout the throughout the tournament, there was Pierce as a starter, as a freshman on on his team. Now they went down uh, the last game; they kind of ran out of gas. But for uh, an Ivy League team to push it that far, it was a great. Just a great thing to watch, and just the way they play, and it was uh, it, it was pretty cool. But the fact that here you go, the young young man as a freshman taking his team to that point, and Alec was in the in the stands cheering. So I just wanted to kind of tie that back together, uh, in case you missed it. You know what? You've got
1: a great researching. Uh, you've got great research department out there. It's always working. You know, it's it's always giving you some nice stats. They're not doing this for me, Lou. But they do it for you, so you know I, I really appreciate that. I, you know, I want to applaud these guys, and they're they're doing a great job. They should be working for ESPN.
0: And we not only for us. hire the best at pros like us. And um, yeah, I always like to say I've got an incredible recall for useless knowledge. And maybe this was it. But just <laughs> when I saw him, I was like, God, you know that name sounds familiar. And uh, then they showed Alec in the crowd, I'm like, oh, okay, there we go. And then it just kind of took me back to that interview. So, uh, but yeah, there were, there were some staff members that, uh, that helped us out with that. So, uh, that's going to do it for us this week. A uh, lot, lot, a lot of stuff covered, a lot of interesting things coming down the pike. We're coming up on the draft, uh, free agency still going on. I mean, pretty much just the one year prove it deals out there coming up. So who knows what OBJ is going to do. But, uh, anyway, for my partner, Alex, this is Lou on the way out. <clears throat>